If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on the Beatitudes. And today, if you were at Sunday school, you know, there were some fun curveballs that we all got to celebrate there together. And today, there will be more of those in our sermon itself. Um, we're talking about mercy this morning. So we, we've gone through, we laid out the pathway to, to following the Lord. And now we're getting to the point where we're talking about more and more understanding the what comes from a, from a fruitful life of following Jesus? What, what are the, the qualities that we as God's people will possess, will, will demonstrate to the world around us truly if we really are His? Today we're going to begin going through that list. It's, it's the second half of the Beatitudes, and we're going to be beginning with the quality of mercy. But first, let's go to verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. Seeing the crowds, He went upon the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you remember the poor in spirit realizing that they have nowhere else to go other than Jesus, and if they truly understand that, they know that they only have him to go to, nowhere else in the world can they go, then they have the kingdom of Christ now. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, they are comforted by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they know they have nowhere else to go. They go to Jesus. They begin to follow Him. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts them of their sin. They confess and repent of their sin, and then they are joyfully comforted by the promise of eternal salvation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we talked about this before, that meekness does not mean weakness. The meek are the, the humble, those who subject themselves to the authority of Christ. And if we subject ourselves to His authority, then He makes us His co-heirs, and we rule and reign with Him. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who follow, who, who desire to follow all of God's law and all of life, and He will bring them to the place where they do delight in Him. And today is where we begin anew. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would teach us by the power of your word, and we thank you that you do. We pray that you would help us to submit completely and totally to your teachings and that we would follow you with joy all of our life. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict and comfort us and that everyone here in this room would know that we have nowhere else to go but to Christ, for he alone has the words of life. And Lord Jesus, may we be instructed here today to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now remember, we, we talked about what blessed means already. But blessed, 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 it means happy, right? Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now this is an interesting, if you just look at just that verse in its context right there, there's a, there's a lot of interesting moments. It's, it's if, if you are merciful, you are happy. Why? For, because you shall receive mercy. So basically what it's saying right there is if you are 
the Lord's, you look forward to his gospel promise, to the promise of Christ, the promise that Christ made to us that if we believe in him, we will be forgiven and we are a part of his kingdom and we are inheritance uh, inheritors with him to rule and reign forever with him. We look forward to that gospel promise and therefore we are merciful to other people and that mercy that we impart to others is a fruit of the spirit that the Lord gives to us as evidence of our salvation and therefore we are happy. Let's pray. Sermon over. No, there's a lot more here than just that, but that's the gist. Do you see? Blessed are the merciful because they shall receive mercy. That future gospel hope. That's gospel driving motivation. Our future knowledge of what God has promised is what brings us to be merciful to those around us today. Do you get it? This is why good deeds apart from Jesus aren't real. All right? We, we can't truly be merciful to the world around us. It was the Christians who were picking up babies off the street that were going to die of exposure. Everybody else was leaving them there. It was Christians who decided that they needed to feed and clothe the poor because it's what Jesus instructed them to do. It was Christians who were merciful because before that point, we lived in a world where the weak just died. And now what do you think the primary thrust of Darwinistic evolutionary theory is? It's the triumph of the strong over what? The weak. And we're headed back there again as a society. That's what evidence of abortion is. Do you know this? That's what abortion functionally is. It is the strong over the weak. It is might versus right. Yes, we agree that you probably are a human being. Yes, we agree that if we just left you alone, you would grow and fully develop into someone with a personality and a soul and all of those wonderful things, but we're going to decide to kill you because you're inconvenient or because I don't want or because you're a product of some horrible thing that happened in my life. I will kill you. I will bring my, your, the consequences upon you instead. That is power over someone else. That's might versus right. That's strength. That's Darwinistic evolutionary theory rearing its head around us. That's not how Christians work. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are those who have been blessed with the knowledge of a future mercy of God to redeem the world and save the world and change it into his kingdom, and they will be merciful to other people now. We receive mercy from God now, and we will receive more mercy from God in the future. And the Bible says it. His mercies are new what? Every morning. Every morning. It is like this tap of mercy. I mean, listen, have you been a Christian for very long? Some of you are like, I'm not even sure I'm one right now. That's okay. Just hold on. Just listen. If you've been a Christian for very long, here's what happens. You realize pretty quickly that you still have a sin problem, <laughs> right? And you, you, you fail and you fall and you cry out to God for his mercy and you confess your sin to him because you know that he's the one, the only one who can forgive you of your sin. And as you confess and as you grow, you become convinced of his mercy. Happy are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Continuing, continuing, continuing. That's a wonderful blessing that the Lord promises to his people. And as we grow and mature, we become more and more aware of our need for what? For mercy. <laughs> we need it a lot. Christianity is not like this thing that you enter into in which you're like, now I'm a Christian and I never sin again. That's not how it works. Christianity is a belief that you enter into. It's a trust that when you do sin, you confess your sins to the Lord and he promises to do what? 
forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he will be making you more and more like him again and again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall continue to receive mercy. And that your reception of mercy from the Lord and your knowledge of that reception of mercy from him and your confession of your sin and your transformation, that changes who you are into someone who is more and more merciful. See, we're going to get to this more later. But those who are merciful to others, they are fully aware that they need mercy from God. In other words, they're true followers of Jesus. They're not, they're not self-righteous. They don't think they have their lives together, okay? And so what that means, and we're going to talk more about this in a little while, is that having mercy or not having mercy is a sharp dividing line between the wheat and the chaff. Are y'all hearing me? Now, some of y'all just heard, ooh, preacher said I should be merciful or I might go to hell. No, you're not listening, okay? What I'm saying is that if you are a Christian, you are merciful as evidence of you being a Christian, and therefore, you will be merciful to others. And not only that, but the Bible says you'll be what? Happy. The unmerciful people, this is, you want to you know some, a quick trait that you can notice, the unmerciful people are miserable, unhappy jerks, okay? It's true. And, and there's a lot of churches, and I think that we're very blessed in that we don't have a lot of this. I, I'm, I'm thanking the Lord for that. But the, the way, an easy recognizing moment of somebody who's not actually a follower of Jesus is, are they a miserable and unhappy jerk? And if that's true about them, there might be some evidence that's being given to you by the Lord very upfront and very clear. Because if you know that you need mercy, guess what that does to you? That makes you be merciful. That's what motivated the early church to pick the babies up off the street. That's what motivated the early church to care for the poor and the needy, which by the way, like the poor and needy would die if someone didn't care for them back in the day. We don't really have that same category of of poor and needy today. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have the people necessarily who will literally starve to death if someone doesn't care for them, but they did in the early church. But we do have the the babies that are being murdered. We do have other things like that that's within our purview that would require us to be merciful, that require us to move. And we should take those opportunities, but we don't quite have them so much now because the state has taken the role of the church, and I'm not going to do too much more on that. So what mercy? We said that word a lot so far. Maybe we should define it, eh? What do you think? Now, there's that mercy and grace awkward definition that I'm not going to go into because I think that's just confusing. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to just leave that alone. I am going to say this, though. Let's define it with, with Bible words and Bible stories. Can you think of a moment in the Scriptures where the word mercy is, is shouted, is proclaimed? What is it? It's the story of the rich man and who? Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. What's he crying out when he says that? He's saying, I deserve death and hell. I deserve nothing. I deserve to be destroyed for what I've done, for the sins that I've committed. I do not deserve life. I only deserve death. But God, you are merciful. In fact, the Lord describes himself over and over and over again throughout the scriptures when he describes himself. You should pay attention. But he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Mercy is the first adjective that God uses to describe himself. Himself. 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And we as his people should cry out like Lazarus, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when we get to that spot, God, I know who I am. I'm broken. I've sinned. I've fallen short of you. God, have mercy. The only thing I've got is your mercy. I deserve death because of what I've done. I deserve to be judged. I deserve only death and hell. Lord, have mercy. And we hold on to his promise that says what? If we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we hold on. Now, sometimes it takes you a little bit of time to hold on to that promise, though, doesn't it? When you feel like you've really messed up, you feel like you've really sent things sideways. But what do you do? You remind yourself of that promise again and again and again and again and again. No, God says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He promises, and I trust his promise. And you remind yourself of God's good promise. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The merciful are blessed. The merciful are happy because they will receive mercy. That future hope equals us carrying out mercy now. That joyful future hope that we know one day sin will have no bearing on us ever again. That we will never fall short again. That, that joyful hope that we will not only be united to loved ones lost again, but that we will live and exist again in a sinful world without toil, without suffering, without pain, and we will continue to build the kingdom of Christ for thousands and millions and all the bazillions of years. It'll be awesome. That future joyful hope drives us to be merciful now and joyfully so. That's gospel-driving motivation. That's us being propelled out to living a life of fruitfulness for God's kingdom. And you become more and more and more and more aware of it. Amen? See, as you listen, okay, so this is, just bear with me here. This is kind of Christianity 101 today, but you're going to be all right. Just listen. See, as you become a believer and you, you get to the point where you, you have that poverty of spirit. You know there's nowhere else for you to go. And you cry out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I've got nowhere else to go. As you grow in maturity in Christ, it is true that you do sin less. That, that's, that's a true statement, right? As you, you grow and you grow up into the right and you grow in maturity and you do sin less. But you know what also you become aware of? Just how much you really do sin. <laughs> You know, like you, you read that Sermon on the Mount and you're like, God, this is like a punch in the face every time I look at this. You mean, you mean even thinking can be sinful sometimes? You mean even in my headspace? And the Lord does that on purpose. Because why? He's growing you and making you more and more aware of what? Your sinfulness and your need for him. Again and again. And again, this is not a class you graduate from. I don't sin anymore. You know, like that's not, that's not what this, until Jesus comes back and sin is wiped off the face of the planet and the dragon is slain, this is going to be something that you fight with. But the Lord makes joyful promises to his people. As you become more and more aware of your sin and God's 
saving grace and mercy in your life, you become more and more joy-filled and happy. What are you enjoying? Mercy. Grace. The benefits. This is why people, the only real ticket to joy in your life, and joy is not, I'm happy all the time, right? That's not joy. Joy can be better described as I am content. Like Paul described himself, I have found ways to be content in the high and in the low when I have a lot and when I have little. That's joy, okay? The real key to absolute, true, and total, complete joy is Jesus, and only Jesus. Serving a good king. You ever... Um, Maybe some of you have got to experience this before, but, but have, you ever, have you ever gone into a, an office where it's really clear just by the timbre and tone of the building that everyone hates their job? Have you ever been to a place like that before? Some of y'all are like, it's my career to go in places like that. <laughs> I got it. Some of y'all work in HR, you know, good luck. So, but, but you know about this, right? Like you, you've been into these places and you're like, oh, everyone hates their job here. Why? Because they have a bad king, Okay. That's generally always the rule. They have, a, they have maybe somebody who just forces people down or takes advantage of people throughout the day or, or they have no greater mission. They're just a cog in a machine that generates dollars over time. You know, whatever, pick it. But there's a bad king. But you ever walked into an office or a corporate setting or a business or a home or whatever that obviously there's something different? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's, there's like a, a tangible, palpable, joyful din in the house, in the business. You can tell the people that are there, they, they want to be there. They don't hate their jobs, in other words. They, they find something refreshing about it. The difference there is, is, is a good king, is a good ruler, is somebody who's in, in, in not just enjoying their life, but being a blessing to other people along the way. Imagine how much more so it would be for Christians who serve the good king. But here's the deal. We stay away from him. Okay, listen, this is important. We stay away from him because we are afraid that he might not have mercy on us. Do you get it? See, this is why we don't confess our sin. This is why we don't deal with our sin whenever we need to. Because we are believing a lie from Satan that says, he, he's not merciful. He's not going to cleanse you. We refuse to confess our sin we refuse, to deal with, we refuse to deal with our sin because we're believing a lie from the devil himself. He won't be merciful to me. He's going he's to pour out his judgment upon me. He's going to destroy me. Or maybe even you've so far gone that you're believing things like, I don't think there really is a God. Who am I talking to? The void in space? Karma out there? No, that can't be it. But listen to me. Serving a good king changes everything. Enjoying his life and his kingdom changes everything. Obeying his laws, celebrating his feast days changes everything. And you can't do that if you, refuse, if you refuse to go to him and confess and follow him. You see, if you will not trust in the mercy of God, then you can't experience any of this, any of this joy. Are you living like a shell of a life? Listen, I'm, I'm talking to y'all. I love you a lot, but some of y'all are just like staring into the void of my face right now, and I need you to like, listen, listen, okay? Are you living a shell of joy? You know what I'm talking about? I get up, I go to work, I do the things, I lay down, I feel anxious, I, I don't know, I, I, it's a shell. Are you trusting in the mercy of God? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It starts there. 
If you are empty, if you are lacking joy, if you don't know where else to go, congratulations, you've arrived at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But you got to start there. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And God's mercy never, ever runs out. What's the alternative? What's the alternative to God's mercy? It's only death, right? That's why Lazarus cries out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Because he knows if it's not for God's mercy, he dies. Let's read a couple of verses. If you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 6, it's just like the next page or so. You don't have to. I'm going to read them. But if you want to, you can mark it and things like that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, uh, 14, and 15. We're going to read those. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is an interesting uh, little caveat here. Listen listen close, okay? So this idea, this forgiveness... It's saying, like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I'm building all these things. Those who forgive shall be forgiven, right? I'm I'm putting all these pieces together. But what these passages actually means is, is not that your forgiveness is dependent upon whether or not you forgive. It's actually the opposite, okay? Forgiven people forgive. Are you following with me here? It's not, I forgave, therefore I'm forgiven, okay? It's... I am a forgiven person, therefore I forgive others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They have a future hope of mercy. And they continue, and his mercies are renewing every morning, and they have already received mercy, and that they are poor in spirit, and they have pursued him. Do you get what I'm saying here? And because they have been given mercy, they continue to pour it out. Blessed are those who forgive, because they've already been forgiven. Are you all tracking with me here? It's, it means forgiven people are those who forgive others. This is why the Lord's Prayer, this is you know what, what we're reading here is the Lord's Prayer, right? What's the first two words that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray whenever they pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. They're already a part of the people of God. They're praying from a disposition of already being forgiven. From the jump, do you see? That's why we're saying it's forgiven people actually forgive. The Lord's Prayer starts with that, which means it's Christians talking. And then he later says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The unforgiving people aren't forgiven. The unmerciful people haven't received mercy. It's the state of their righteousness that we're talking about here. One day, I'm actually, I keep putting this in my notes. I'm never actually going to get to it. But there's a difference between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. I'm just going to give you the quick rundown real fast, because I promise I've had this in my notes for like two weeks, and I haven't said it yet, and today we're going to say it, okay? Just, just listen. There's, there's different types of righteousness here. There's imputed righteousness, and there's imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is the righteousness that you receive immediately by faith, okay? That's imputed righteousness. That's, that's Jesus giving you his righteousness when you believe for him in him unto salvation. That's imputed righteousness. Imparted righteousness is Jesus transforming you throughout your life as you confess your sins to him and he grows you. Both come from where? Jesus. Both come from you running to him for this forgiveness. But there's two pieces and God gives it to us through Christ, okay? So where do you go to get more of it? Christ. (laughs) 
And it motivates and it drives you to be merciful to other people around you. So in other words, what I'm saying is you are forgiven when you become a Christian and you are forgiven of your sins when you confess and repent of your sins. See, those two things, it can be confusing sometimes, but it's, it's not the same thing. There's slightly different pieces here. But you are forgiven, boom. Now you are a believer, you're following Jesus, up, oh, I've sinned, boom, you confess and repent, you're forgiven. And you grow and you grow and you grow. Forgiven people are truly forgiven people, truly Christian people are perpetually forgiven again and again and again. Why? Because they perpetually confess and repent of their sins, because they follow the Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's the same thing. If you have received mercy from the Lord, you continue to operate in joyful mercy to those around you. If you aren't confessing your sins, if you just travel through your life without that, then you're not forgiven. You aren't Christ's, and you have no mercy because you have received no mercy. Do you get it? This is the dividing line here, guys. There are tons of people in churches today across the country who are not merciful people and who have never really received the life of Jesus. Never. They're jerks. They're unhappy, inconsolable, unjoyful, unblessed jerks. They're the legalists. They're the well-actually people. You ever met some folks like that before inside of a Christian community? Well, actually. No, that's, watch out for those guys. You're forgiven when you become a Christian, and as you continue to be forgiven, as you confess and repent, you have mercy if you've received mercy. This is why, um, if you have, we're coming up on Christmas time, right? Um, and you, you've got kids, you've given them Christmas presents, and then they're like, this is mine, and I will never, ever share with you, younger brother, how dare you even ask me. That's why that's so offensive. You know what I'm talking about? Because that kid didn't buy that present, did they? That, that, that was a gift to that child. And that kid is refusing to share the gift as a gift with his siblings. And you're like, what is happening? It's why it bothers you so, so deeply. The same thing is true for, for Christians. You've been given mercy. How could you not extend it to others? And this is not a new problem, by the way. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Or you don't have to. Maybe we've got it up here. Or you can just listen to me. But if you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 11, flip over there. We're going to look at verses 17 through 21. This idea of the unmerciful being inside of the church and that being a dividing line between the wheat and the chaff, between the goat and the sheep, the God's people and not God's people, inside of the church. You get it? Listen, do you all hear? Hello. Are you listening? I'm talking about inside of the church. Okay, in Jesus' church, there are the merciful and the unmerciful. There are the wheat and the chaff. There are the goats and the sheep in his church. And he sets it up that way on purpose, on purpose, which means there are probably people here right now who do not believe in Jesus, who maybe think that they believe in Jesus, but they don't, who maybe think that they're following Jesus, but they don't. And they are characterized by unhappy, unmerciful, unjoyful lives of disobedience. And Jesus is trying to give us a, a moment right now to say, hey, 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 maybe we should take some time and study where the line actually is and be aware of where I am if I'm on one side of it or the other. Do you get it? And so for Jesus' people, the faithful sheep, who they can know who the goats really are and who the chaff is. Are y'all following with me? This is not lightweight stuff. This is serious talk stuff. And if you find out by the end of this talk, you think you might be a goat, my word to you would be repent and believe. Follow the Lord. Confess your sins and follow him in all of life. But do not think that we're different. Oh no, we only got believers up in here. No, dude, what? This is New Testament times. They had fake Christians, converts in there all, all the time. 
And we, as God's people, have a responsibility to know who is who. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 17. This is nothing new. They've had this problem before. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. <laughs> Paul says, when y'all got together, it's worse. He's like, just stay home. Y'all are, y'all are making church a terrible thing. Stop getting together. Could you imagine that? Like, imagine if the Apostle Paul just showed up and be like, y'all need to stop meeting. You're terrible people. <laughs> that would suck the wind right out of me right there, man. Y'all are terrible people. Go home. This is not for you. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's worse. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, right there. Okay, everybody stop. Just don't, don't read, don't read. Don't, stop reading, stop reading. Right there, some of y'all are like, <gasps> there's divisions in the church. Chill out. Chill out. There's divisions. In, there's always divisions in the church. Do you hear me? Always. And in this instance, they're good. You see? They're good. It's what we've been talking about this whole sermon up to this point. The dividing line is good. Who's the wheat and who's the chaff? You need to know. Who's the sheep and who's the goats? You need to know. You need to. And so he's saying, I hear that there are divisions amongst you. (gasps) Paul, not divisions. No, of course there's divisions. And I believe it in part, verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. You see, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to know who's who. And so the Lord is going to send divisions to you to show you who's who. So toughen up. Get ready to have your feelings hurt a little bit. Get ready to be like, I was wrong about them. Yeah, all the things, whatever, is fine. The Lord did not promise that his church would be the mega church with all the people. The Lord promises that he was going to refine his people and that they would be the true church by the end of days. That's what we're looking for here. There must be divisions. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Skip to verse 30. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This is the, re- this is the Bible passage that we reference every Sunday as we fence the table for the Lord's Supper. This is what we're talking about right here. They're abusing the Lord's Supper. They're not receiving it correctly. There's a lot in this, and we're not, this is not the passage that we're teaching. This is the principle that I'm trying to lay out. But up top, here's the thing. There's a problem because some folks aren't being merciful. They're being selfish. And Paul says, dividing line drawn. They're not Christians. The division has been laid. You thought they were. They're not. Act accordingly. That's what he's saying. He's saying, move correctly. Some folks are coming and eating and drinking and they're consuming everything in a selfish way and they're being without mercy. And people are going hungry while others are eating their fill and beyond. Paul's like, that ain't the Lord's Supper. Y'all missed the whole point. Y'all are being, you're being selfish with your food as you gather together to celebrate the goodness that the Lord has provided and pouring out His mercy on you. You're not Christians. Y'all should just stay home. <laughs> That's, ugh, that just got to, that must have hurt so bad. So what does God do? He says, this is a good division. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It's a good division. Now we're going to figure out who's who. In other words, now this is important for you to hear, God had mercy on that church to show them 
who the true disciples were and who the fake ones were. You saw that? God had mercy on that church to shove out the wolves and bring in the flock. That's mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. So God in this moment sees mercy, the dividing line in his church, and he has mercy on his church by throwing out the unmerciful. Did you see that? That's really cool, huh? Now I'm going to say that again so that you can see, see what's happening. God sees who has mercy and who lacks it in the church. He pours his mercy out upon those who do have it, his church, by throwing out those who lack it. You see, that's what happened. And that's what we should pray for. That those who are not the Lord's would repent and believe and follow him or that they would leave. Period. Look, I got a lot of things to say. Y'all, okay. All right, here we go. I got a lot of things to say. But here's the big point of all of this. The Lord's church is not an assimilation platform for visitors. I am grateful that people come and they visit on Sunday mornings and they get a taste of what Christianity truly is, and I, I, I love that. And many people come because they've been invited by others who are in this room and they, they want you to come and experience what it's like to be a part of Jesus' church. That's phenomenal. But repent and believe or leave. That's it. We are called to follow all of Christ and all of life. And that dividing line of those with mercy and those without mercy is the clear indicator is who is Jesus's and who is not. And Jesus will again and again refine his church. He will. And if you're coming here and you're starting to believe in Jesus and follow him, then amen. Joy to the, yes, the Lord is doing a great and good work. But that's what it's for. Jesus' church is to be his people gathered, singing and delighting and worshiping him all of our days. And he comes to set it clearly who is his and who are not. Now, some of us would prefer that to not be true. We would like a church that's big and sexy and fog machines and thousands of people and all of the things. And that's, listen, no, no, no. We would, we, would prefer, we would prefer a church with no division. Preacher, you're so divisive. It's not me. It's literally God did that. God did that. God said, uh-uh, y'all ain't real. Boom. These are the real ones. Y'all get out. God did that. The Lord poured out His grace and mercy upon that. But for some of us, we want, we want a church. We want, a, we want a, 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 a religious event on Sundays. I'll say it that way. We want a religious event on Sundays with, with no division like that. We want, we want a church with no division. And you know what that means? That means what you actually want is a church with fragile, superficial relationships. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is when you walk up to your brother or sister in the Lord and said, hey, I think you're doing something real stupid right now and you need to repent. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's real Christianity. The dividing line of God's truth. It's not full of fragile, superficial, whitewashed relationships where we never challenge one another. We never, we never grow in the Lord together. That, uh, that'll get you no division, but it won't get you a real church. 
We, we want a church that refuses to confront sin in our lives and in other people's lives. That'll get you a church with no division, but it won't get you a real church. In other words, if you want all of those things, you don't want a real church. You want a club. You want some place that you can go and feel certain feelings on Sundays. That's not what we're chasing. We want to be faithful to the Lord in all of life. If you're truly trying to pursue Jesus, guess what? Divisions will come. And you know what the Lord says about those divisions? They're good. They're good. And you welcome them and you invite them in. And they will reveal to you who is truly Jesus's and who needs to repent and believe and hasn't done it yet. And that doesn't mean that you simply give up on that person. Ah, you haven't repented and believed. Well, you're good. No, you invite them to. I don't feel as though you've repented and believed in the Lord Jesus. Would you like to? <laughs> okay, let me tell you all a funny story. All right, so uh, Lafayette, some of y'all defected to last, Lafayette last week. Your church discipline letters are coming in the mail. Anyway, Lafayette just opened their new sanctuary building. I'm joking. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you got to go. Letters still coming, though. Uh, but... <laughs> Whenever, whenever they opened their new building, they had their, their first time of communion. You know, it's like new building, fun stuff happens. Lots of people show up for, for fun church events like that. It's normal. Well, they get to the part of the service where it's, it's time for the Lord's Supper. And, and they're taking the Lord's Supper, and they're, they're getting to walk, ready to walk down the aisles and hand out the elements to different people. And, and one of the uh, deacons or somebody who's, get, who's administrating the Lord's Supper that day, they see a visitor that they don't recognize in the church room. And so they walk up to him and they say, hey, um, have I, before I give you these elements, have, have you or your family been baptized? And the guy's response is no. Well, see, the prerequisite of participating in the Lord's Supper is what? Baptism, right? And so the, the church deacon's like, hey, have you guys been baptized? And the visitor and his family, have you and your children been baptized? And the visitor and his family looks up and they're like, no, we haven't been baptized. And the church deacon was like, okay. And he walked on to the next aisle. Now, for some of us, we're like, <gasps> he refused the Lord's Supper. Yeah, he should have. You know what's happening today? That whole family's getting baptized. Because there was division. Do you get it? Because there was conflict. Because a line was drawn. A good line that was a good gift from the Lord. And people were given the opportunity to repent and believe. Don't run from this stuff and say, oh no, icky. Embrace it. And until we do, we're going to be a fake church. And I don't want to be a fake church. These people divided over their lack of mercy, their lack of hospitality. And what did God do? Go on down in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He removed his blessings from them, and many of them got sick and even did what? Die as a result of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. God removed His blessings from them to make the division even more clear. Some received sickness and some even received death. So really, those who had mercy received mercy and the wolves got outed. It's, it's very simple. We've been saying that throughout this entire piece. And those who refused to show mercy, those who refused to embrace the mercy of God, they left. Unmerciful folks, listen, are miserable people. They refuse to share. They nitpick. They have no grace. And God will out them, assuming that you're in a faithful church in the first place. God will out them. So wait and watch and see. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. So maybe you are sitting here right now and you're saying, I don't know that I am merciful. Well, have you received it? Have you? Have you received mercy from God? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know that I have received mercy from God. Do you want to? (laughs) Because all you got to do is ask. That's what Lazarus did. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord of the Bible promises to pour it out upon you and make you his. That's it. See, it's the, the, it is true that the, the way is narrow, but it's narrow because it's through Jesus. That's the place that we go. Have you received mercy from the Lord? Maybe not. You can ask. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God promises that he will grant. Let's pray.